as I said, the the testimony that I think most people were interested in at the Emergency Act inquiry has wrapped up now, but it's not over. Now we're going to hear from 50 or 60 different policy experts, and they'll sort of be speaking in terms of, you know, the legality and the intelligence issues and the policing issues and just sort of that kind of information will be given to the commissioner. But as I said, you know, the testimony of convoy participants and um, law enforcement and government uh, officials has now wrapped up. And the commissioner of the Emergencies Act inquiry uh, says he's confident that he can deliver a decision. Paul Rollo listened to, you know, six weeks of testimony, if you can believe it. Uh, now he has the task of trying to decide whether or not the Trudeau government was justified in invoking the act in response to the convoy that took over downtown Ottawa last February. He must also determine if the powers that the act unleashes were used appropriately after it was invoked. And he has to try and also, and I think this may be the hardest part, he has to try and determine some kind of official record of what actually happened, a timeline, if you will, a chronology. I think that could be almost impossible to do because there's so much disagreement. But let's find out what we learned, if we learned anything, um, and if we're any farther ahead than we were and it all got started. We're going to chat with Aaron Woodrick, who is the director of the McDonald laurie Institute's Domestic Policy Program. Aaron, thanks for joining us. Appreciate your time. Yeah, always a pleasure to be here, Shay. Yeah, so the commissioner says, you know, he's heard enough. He can make his determination. He's confident. Took six weeks. Do you think that a clear picture emerged? Were the questions we went in asking answered? Boy, you know, you said off the top that he's got an almost impossible task ahead of him. I, I agree. I don't envy what he has to uh, come up with by February, no less. He doesn't have six months or a year to figure this out. Um, look, he says he's got all he needs. Um, <clears throat> that made me raise, <clears throat> excuse me, made me raise my my eyebrow a little bit because I don't think the public has what it needs. We didn't hear the answer to the question: Is what is the legal test the government used? Um, you know, there's a law in the books. There's a threshold that has to be met. Based on the law, the reading of the words, they didn't meet that test. But throughout the testimony, they hinted that they had a different view of that. They had a different legal advice saying they had to meet a lower threshold. We didn't hear what that is. Um, It may be the case that Justice Rouleau knows because there is there is some documents and some evidence that is not available to the public. That's very unusual, of course, because when you have these public inquiries, the whole point is to make the self public. So I'm hoping he has more. I'm hoping he can make a better decision. But in terms of what the public knows, we really don't have much more in front of us than uh, when this whole thing started. Let's talk about that for a second, Aaron, because you're right. The the government says they did have a a legal opinion saying it was justified and it was something that they should do, but they're citing basically client-lawyer privilege, right? Saying we can't disclose it? Yeah, that's exactly it. Now, they've waived other forms of privilege. So, for example, there's texts between ministers, there's information from cabinet deliberation. So they've made a big show of saying we're being very transparent, we're waiving privilege. That's true, except they haven't waived it for the single most important thing that we need. I mean, how can you how can you properly analyze whether a government has met a legal test if they won't tell you what the test is? I mean, basically, they're saying trust us, and that was the title of an op-ed I wrote on this on Fridays. They're just saying, just, 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 saying, just trust me. Um, you know, we have advice that was sound, and we followed it. And that's sort of the end of the discussion. And you're saying, and I guess you're right, maybe uh, they, uh, the commissioner will say, you know, what I've seen, the, the legal advice they were given. But I mean, like you're saying, it, this is about trust. This is about transparency. Even if he came out and said, don't worry, I was given that, we just can't release it publicly, no one's going to believe that anyhow. 
Well, no. And what's the point of having the inquiry, yeah. right? I mean, if, if the whole, uh, if it comes down to a government saying, well, we had our reasons, you'll just have to trust us. We should have just not bothered with the last six weeks. And I think the broader point too, and this gets lost in the politics of it, right? Because so many people are just obsessed with whether this hurts the Trudeau government or helps yeah. them. And my point is that that's completely irrelevant from a law standpoint. The question this needs to answer is, was the law broken? I mean, what the, what the consequences of that are, are you know, the secondary to me, it's, we need to discover, we need to uncover and establish whether the government broke its own law or not. That to me is the single most important part of this inquiry. You mentioned consequences and I've had some people ask me uh, here on the show in terms of, okay, so let's say the commissioner comes back and says, you know what? There was no reason to invoke this law. It was done inappropriately. It shouldn't have been done. There's no consequences. It's not like the prime minister loses his job over this, right? Is anybody held to account? How does that work? Yeah, it really comes down to the democratic process, right? I mean, uh, and that's why I think it's important is that, it, you know, the public will have to pass judgment on whether or not they care that the government broke its own law. Now, I'm very troubled by this because I, I, all the evidence to me over sort of the last 10 years is that people seem to be very upset when the law is broken if it's for a cause they don't support. Yes. But if it is the cause they do support, they're kind of like, yeah, well, what's the big Had deal? To be done. Yeah. <laughs> it's extremely dangerous, Shay. And I think a lot of people are not thinking past the end of their own nose when they say this is that if you're only going to be concerned about the law being followed when it's used against people you don't like, um, that, I mean, just it's, it, it, you don't have to think too hard about Someday there will be a future government that you maybe don't like if you like the one today, and it's going to be an, a different issue. Um, if they start using this principle, you're really not going to like the consequences. So I think it's important to always say, look, the law needs to be followed, whether it's applied against our friends or enemies. It always needs to be applied the same way. Otherwise, we don't really have rule of law anymore. To that end, the commissioner says part, he, he recognizes that this whole process, the convoy, the Emergencies Act, the inquiry has been deeply divisive, and he feels mm-hmm. it's his job to try and heal some of that division um impossible impossible i mean he can't do that can he I don't think he can. I mean, I think really what he can do is try and give the most objective view of what actually happened um, based on all the evidence he's heard. The other thing, too, which I think is important, is going forward, there's been a lot of talk about do we need to change the Emergencies Act, right? Yes. Remember, the act itself was a revised version of the War Measures Act, which came out in 1970. And I think now is another opportunity to update this law. Um, look, some people want to make it easier to use these powers. I make the opposite case. I think that, if anything, this this type of law is so unusual. It really is a nuclear option. It needs to be tightened up so that there's no ambiguity that's only ever used in the absolute most extreme circumstances. So that's another debate that's going to be coming, and I think um, it's important that we uh, we get that balance right. As far as the testimony that we did here, of course, the Prime Minister on the stand on Friday very closely watched, and again, like everything regarding this, depending on you know what side you align with, either it was a disaster for the PM or it was a raving success for the Prime Minister. I mean, what did you take out of what he he had to say on Friday. Well, look, I actually think he did very well as a witness on a stand, right? As a lawyer, um, you know, who, who's cross-examined witnesses. I think he performed very well. In fact, I think he explained things and many things better than some of his own ministers and own advisors did. So he was very well prepared. So my hat's off to him for that. But the performance is different than sort of did we learn anything substantive, right? Um, the performance he gave was sort of confident, thoughtful. In fact, I, I wish he would talk this way more when he was giving press conferences uh, in regular times. But we didn't get 
get the answers to the key questions, such as things like, you know, what was the legal test yeah. that you relied on? The other thing I found that was troubling, and, and, and a number of other ministers did this, was he sort of used these hypotheticals, right, where he would say, well, you know, um, you know, what if I didn't use the act? What if, what if? And, and of course, in the what if scenarios, the situation is always some disaster scenario. And my rebuttal is, well, what if you didn't use it and nothing happened, right? I mean, yeah. it, it, it's easy to always say, well, if I didn't do this, the worst thing in the world would have happened. But you know what? It's equally plausible that wouldn't have happened. And so really, you're just you're building up a straw man um, sort of disaster scenario argument. So look, I think I think an objective observer would say he was a well-prepared witness. Um, he, he didn't uh, he didn't look out of sorts up there. He seemed at, at peace with the thoughts. But in terms of actually getting to the truth, getting getting important answers and answering these questions about the whole purpose of the inquiry, we really didn't get very much out of it. Did we get anything else? Anywhere else, was there any other testimony that you sort of watched and went, well, oh, wait a minute, this is important, Like, be it from someone who was involved in the convoy, somebody who was in law enforcement, one of the other government ministers? Was there a moment at all where you sort of said, oh, wow, that's enlightening, okay, that that's important? Yeah, I think it started uh, uh, the middle of last week when we had uh, Jody Thomas, who is the Prime Minister's National Security Advisor, and she sort of was the first one to hint that the government was using a different threshold uh, for what constitutes a, uh, a threat to the security of Canada. That was new to me, and that sort of that was my aha moment because for many weeks and even before the inquiry, I've been wondering, well, how is the government going to prove it met this test under the law? Because they they haven't really let any evidence. And the answer is, based on Jody Thomas and a bunch of other witnesses, well, they basically came up with a different test. That's how. They weren't going to meet the threshold that the Emergencies Act says. Um, they were going to make up their own their, their own threshold. They were going to meet that test. And of course, then I was waiting to see, well, when will they tell us what that test yeah. is? And we never got there. So that is where I sort of realized, ah, they were never going to meet the, the test we expected them to meet all along. They were basically going to say, we have our own. And uh, you know what? You're just going to have to trust us because we can't tell you what it is. Um, the, this remaining testimony that's coming from policy experts and all the rest, how important is that? I imagine if you're the commissioner, that would be pretty good. I mean, you want to have a pretty clear understanding of what the law says. What you know, I mean, this is just as important as the testimony to him, but to the public, do you think it is? No, it's not. And these are people who don't have direct um, a link to the protest, yeah. right? And I haven't looked at the witness. I mean, some of these folks, for example, are international types. So they're really going to be talking more about the types of laws, um, you know, in their own countries, what, what similar characteristics they have. So this may get a little wonky for a lot of people. I hope it's helpful to uh, Justice Rouleau. Um, but the sort, of, uh, the sort of dramatic moment has passed with the Prime Minister's sort of grand finale uh, appearing on Friday. All right, Aaron, we always appreciate your insight. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. <laughs> For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.